to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie, the podcast where we talk about all the things that scare the shit out of us and a few things that don't. I'm Becky and I'm looking at the lovely bespectacled Marie across the Zoom. How are you doing, Marie? I'm okay. I'm I'm fearing that I'm becoming that like get off my lawn old person. Like I've I've always prided myself on did you do something in particular or I'm I'm what'd you do? I'm actually constantly doing stuff. I can't keep pronouns straight. I I say retro things that make me sound, I mean, like a bad racist person. And I don't like, for instance, I'll get, <laughs> please clarify that. I'm gonna clarify. I'm gonna clarify. Let's clarify. Uh, James was trying to help me pick out glasses, and for whatever reason, he pers- he sees me differently than I see myself. So. Like when he picks out clothes for me or picks out outfits for me, it's like, do you know who Helmut Newton, the photographer is? Yeah. Yeah. He picks out like these like really high fashion, like German looking things. And I mean, everything is like real high fashion. And I'm like, you live with me. This is not something, right? So he picks out these Gucci frames that have all sorts of like ornaments encrusted on the side and like, like little... (laughs) gold they were really heavy too it was like felt like five pounds on my bridge of my nose but he was like these are amazing and these are kick-ass and I'm like has he met you well first of all I'm like okay I haven't accepted that glasses are my identity right so he's had glasses his whole life he picks out really cool frames because that's that's his face the glasses are a part of his face this this I'm taking on and off this is not a, a part of my official look right but also these glasses were ridiculous and and I was like I just said to James I'm like well you know you could get them for yourself if you want I go but these seem like glasses for a girl not for a boy and the guy behind the counter was like well I don't know about that I mean I feel like I could pull these off and then I could tell I had offended the guy (laughs) and I'm like so stuff like that right said this to my kids when I was teaching like Every generation's job is to piss off the previous generation. That's your job. Like you're to make us think all y'all are fucked up. The world's (laughs) going to hell in a handbasket, you know? And so our generation did it to our parents. These kids are doing it to us. It's just how the world works. Right, right. So, you know, everyone's wearing makeup now, which, okay, you know what? That's, that's a thing. Straight men wearing makeup. Good for you. All y'all look great. But it's like, for people our age, it's like, wait, what? (laughs) Wait, you're not a rock star? And you're wearing makeup <laughs> in your daily life. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, but all right. I have worked with some young people in jobs that where, you know, a guy is wearing a dress and makeup to work and wigs and they'll come up to my desk and they'll be like, what do you think of my new outfit? And I'm like, oh man, I, I don't want to say anything. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know. Yeah, what you're, you know what I get wearing that? That's great. You do you, but don't ask someone's opinion because you don't want to know their opinion. You only want them to tell you that they look great. Right. right. Which, so. is what I, which is what I do, which is what I do, which actually sure, yeah. you're not supposed to comment on someone's appearance in the workplace. Exactly. I went through exactly. Some, and in the sexual harassment training, the, like if I walk up to you and I'm like, Oh, I like your teal blouse or whatever. First of all, people might be like, Oh, she's old. Cause she said blouse, but, but also I could get called into <laughs> I actually, and this is a true story. This is not bragging. It's just telling you this is 
true. I had a boss who was really old. So I was really good friends with him. And after I'd worked with him for about a year, he told me that he hired me because I was pretty. He straight up, he's like, I just wanted to make sure that whoever I worked with was attractive and because that's who I was going to look at all day long. And I was like, whoa, what? I don't want to say to that. He's 9,000 years old. You know, I was like, okay, I'm going to go back to my typing. I was actually going to ask you how old he was. I'm glad you clarified that he was 9,000 because that now it makes sense. And he and I were very good friends, which I'm sure is why he felt like he could say that. It was still like, come on. You know, this was not, this was not Madman in 1970, you know? anyway well I went into a job interview once and I had to interview with everyone in the department and one of the guys I interviewed with asked me do you have kids which shocked me at the time oh no 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 and I was like no I just I had actually just gotten married at that point I was like no I just got married or whatever and he's like well do you plan on having kids and I was like, that's a weird question. And he's like, well, the reason why I'm asking it is, oh. he goes, is because women with kids tend to not work as hard. They don't show up to work. You know, they always have to go pick up their kids and all this kind of stuff. And I was just shocked. I couldn't believe it. What did you say? How do you, I mean. My perspective on things has changed a lot. And this actually ties into college and career the stuff we're going to talk about today which is at the time I really really wanted this job and so I feel like I just said whatever I needed to say I think I was like oh you don't have to worry my husband and I don't want to even want to have kids you know which now that I look back I feel like ugh, that ugh, why did I do that but at the time I I probably, I, I don't think I would have done anything, but I really, really wanted this job. Did you uh, get it? I did not. <laughs> oh, that's but, a terrible end of that story. <laughs> I know, sorry. And, and it turned out they already had a person in mind. They just had to do a thing where they interview people. And the person that they had in mind was actually a friend of the person who ran the department. And, you know, they didn't care about the qualifications. Yeah. Yeah. Did you have a fear today, Becky? I am fearing people pretending to attend college, graduate school, law school, and pretending to graduate from these institutions. Because first of all, I know people who pretended to go to a university all the way through four years, where even their family didn't know. Um, I know two people who pretend to have degrees and put that on their LinkedIn and have gotten jobs, you know, and it's on their resume. And one of them never even attended the school at all, ever. <laughs> and not one credit hour, not one. And the other one attended for a while and then just didn't finish. But it also relates directly back to some crime and murder. There is a case in Texas and a case in Canada where this has led to murder. Have you heard of any of these cases, Marie? I actually haven't, and there doesn't seem to be a lot about it on the internet, but when you started describing this to me, I was thinking, wasn't there a movie that came out recently where Jennifer Lopez pretended to, to be like a high-level executive and, and got a job? I don't know. Well, did you see the movie? I didn't. No, I saw a trailer for it and it looked ridiculous, but 
that's the first thing that popped into my head. Yeah, I mean, people get jobs based on fake information all the time. I don't know how they get away with it now. Like, I mean, background checks, you know, hello. So there's a case, it's the Whitaker case in a suburb of Houston in 2003. And this guy pretended to go to college for a while. I don't think he ever attended. It was Sam Houston State University. He had his parents thinking that he did. and he told them he was graduating the weekend of December 10th and his parents believed he was graduating the next day. They went out to a nice dinner at Papa Do's. Those of you listening who've never been to Papa Do's, that's pretty good food. I love that restaurant. Yeah. And so his parents gave Bart a Rolex watch. They were so, so proud of him. And Kevin is the brother of Bart. Trish is the mom and Kent is the dad. That night, as they head into their home, each one is shot, headed to their front door. And Kent is first, he's shot, and he's on the porch. Mom is right behind, she gets shot. The brother, the freshman at A&M University, he gets shot. The son who is supposedly graduating tomorrow rushes into the house towards the gunman. He fights with the gunman, the gunman shoots him. And the neighbor hears all this commotion, runs over, sees all these people dying on their front porch and and tries to help. Uh, Trisha is dying. He can hear her gurgling. Kevin is just inside the front door of the house. And the neighbor can tell he's um, dying. And the dad, Kent, is gravely wounded, but he's not dead. So the neighbor's son comes over. Kent is like, the gunman might still be in the house. Please don't put yourselves in danger. I don't know what's going on here. So they call 911. So the supposed graduate, he's been shot, but he's not as gravely wounded as everybody else. Trisha is airlifted. She dies um, headed to the hospital. Kevin, he's pronounced dead. Well, Kent survives. And he and his son, Bart, recover they go home the police don't know what's going on it's another seven months before the police start really unraveling this and one of the ways they unravel it is more than one person comes to them and says oh by the way bart he never attended this university but also he asked me to kill his family like he'd asked like three or four different people to kill his family so he was going around asking people was going around asking people and one guy he asked like said well it was such a weird conversation I thought he was kidding but I sort of realized he was serious you know so it turned out that his neighbor down the street as well as one of his roommates from what town is that Huntsville right that's Huntsville right yeah remember when you and I were driving (laughs) One of the funniest things you've ever said to me, I think I might have laughed for four hours. When you and I were driving from Lubbock to Houston and we took a wrong turn, it ended up like at your house in Waco. So then we start heading down 45 and we drive by that giant statue of Sam Houston. And you go, you know, you could tell somebody how to get here if you tell them. Well, just drive down 35 till you shut your pants and then turn left. Oh my God, I laugh for days. Because um, that's statue <laughs> in the middle of nowhere i'll put a picture of it on our website was it really scary it's so by this time it was nighttime (laughs) you and i we distracted ourselves so much because we were laughing so hard 
and we ended up driving all over Texas and we didn't get to our hotel in Houston until really late that night I don't think I don't know why people decided it was a good idea to put us in a car together but um maybe it was so scary I've repressed this memory (laughs) it's really giant it's not a statue y'all I mean if you're listening to this and you've never seen it look it up but it's at night and it just jumps up out of nowhere it's huge it's like a building on the side of the road for no right reason. right you're just driving along and all of a sudden it's like a nightmare has come yeah it's like a nightmare because you don't know what it is there's no context for it it's so weird it's so there, there was another time we were driving together and every time I started talking I would slow down to like 25 miles per hour <laughs> do you remember that I'm not a I'm not a good multitasker I'm really not I've been forced into it but I'm really bad at it we were we were dangerous we were driving so slow oh my gosh <laughs> okay sorry so he went he had a friend or a roommate from the Huntsville area and he got him to actually participate he had a friend down the street agree to participate because he told them that he was going to inherit a lot of money and that he would pay them a lot of money if they helped him out so he had to make sure his entire family was dead there was actually another night they tried it before, but they had to abort the mission because somebody came home at the wrong time or something didn't work. So they'd done it before or tried to. Um, ABCnews.com, that, that's where I got a lot of this information. And they have pictures of him sitting at the Papados with the watch open, opening the box. Super creepy. One of his friends is, is sitting outside in a car at the Papados as a lookout. And tells the other guy, go in the back door. They already knew the code to the alarm. and he got his father's gun out of the safe and and mowed them all down and then they they'd rehearse this thing where like when bart would pretend to fight the guy and then he would fight him off and then get shot so he shot him like in the arm you know or something like that so eventually they put him on trial his dad is apparently just the most full of grace and forgiveness of any human you've ever seen and he forgave his son and begged for him not to get the death penalty well, he got the death penalty, but then he was commuted to a license. So, um, but he's still serving his time. And I wonder if he's in the Huntsville prison, <laughs> right next door to where he went to school. It's interesting because I've, I've been watching a series of documentaries lately, and this theme keeps coming up, the idea that people who want to hire someone to kill someone, and they start asking around. Now, I don't know about you, Like, obviously you approached me about doing this podcast because you thought it was something that I'd be interested in. I don't have any friends that come to mind that I'm like, if I wanted someone killed, that I'd be like, this is something so-and-so would be interested in. So that's interesting to me that people have friends that they think would be good potential hit men or women. I mean, that's that's, That's a, a good point. Are you, I mean, are, is everybody but us surrounded by people that, that they would think, oh yeah, that's who I'd want to kill someone with. Like, I don't know. Are we the only ones? Okay. There was one murder show and I think it's been featured on several murder shows where this woman was murdered and the, the husband did it of course, but then he also tried to point the finger at his brother who lived down the road. And so they're pointing the finger at each other, but the brother-in-law, he says that all he did was help cover it up. You know, like in the middle of the night, his brother had murdered his wife and he called him to help cover it up. Curtis looks at me and he goes, who are you going to call when you murder me in the middle of the night to help cover it up? 
he and I kind of sat there for a couple minutes and then he named somebody <laughs> who I'm not going to name, right. <laughs> but you know her. And I messaged that person and I'm like, is this good or bad? But Curtis thinks that if I killed him, that you're who I'm going to call to cover it up. <laughs> she's, she, of course, is hilarious. So she's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She's like, oh, I'm, I gotcha. She's like, I'll bring muffins and we'll, you know, we'll make it a, we'll right. make an event. Um, but I don't, I don't know who are these people that are surrounded by like people you not only would you feel comfortable asking but you know that they're not going to go to the police right I wouldn't trust that people wouldn't go to the police about it and then I'd end up like the Texas cheerleader murdering mom and I'm sitting there with the FBI guy in the truck laughing about a person I'm gonna kill yeah and then I get arrested you know yeah and also this is another one that some of these people are just so dumb and that like they'll go to a bar and strike up a conversation with somebody at a bar and then be like, Hey, I have a, a business proposition for you. That's I've never had that. Uh, no, I myself have never had anyone ask me to kill someone. I mean, maybe everyone else gets asked that question a lot. But that's not a question people approach me with. No. I, yeah. It's a, it's a strange thing that if you have someone in your life that you think uh, would commit a murder, maybe you want to rethink that friendship, right? If I wanted a murder done, I would not come to you. Thank you. And I hope you don't take this as an insult, but I feel that if we committed a crime together, you would fucking fall apart very quickly. <laughs> I think you would be the worst person to commit a crime. Honestly, if we committed a crime together, it wouldn't be long before I would have to kill you also. You don't think I could keep my shit together long enough to kill no. somebody and cover it up? No. Since we've agreed that I'm not going to be the one to help you with your murder plot. But here's the thing too, with people always bring in other people. Don't bring in other people. People just can't keep their mouths shut. But if you kill somebody, I mean, keep your mouth shut. You got a pretty good shot, you know? Um, it's, um, it's super ingrained in our, our cultural thinking though. Cause like everyone says they believe in the American justice system, but then they don't because they don't follow it mm -hmm. because the majority of people, and I'm even talking about good people who end up cooperating with the police because they feel that it shows they're innocent if they cooperate with the police. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say the police are not your friend in this circumstance. They're seeing you as a suspect and you need legal protection. Well, did you ever watch that series? And if you haven't watched it, The Night Of? No, I have not. Oh my gosh. The actor who played the lead won, I believe he won an Emmy and he should have. He probably won a lot of awards. And uh, I'm not going to give anything away. I'll just tell you this. There's a crime that happens and this guy gets arrested. And his defense attorney said to him, what you just said police are not your friend don't talk to them and the guy who didn't do it he keeps saying but I didn't do it that's that's the truth and the and the lawyer says the truth won't help you here even the truth won't help you here right um so okay got another way, nothing nothing against cops because I know a lot of people have been down on police officers I, I'm not saying that as a to diminish police officers I'm just saying that's the reality of the situation our system is set up for you to exercise your right to defense. No, the police, that's their job. They're doing their job. Yeah. Like that's their job is to figure out who did it or to everybody's a suspect. 
Yeah. It doesn't mean that you're under a legal obligation to do anything other than what you're legally, you know, required to do. That's the law. All right. So this is in Toronto. So there was a, a family named the Pam, P-A-N family. And the oldest daughter was Jennifer. She was 24. Her parents, Bick and Han, who were ethnic Chinese immigrants who came to Toronto from Vietnam. And the parents had become really uh, successful. They had a nice home and, and this really, you know, tree-lined street and blah, blah, blah. Well, Jennifer still lived at home. And so one night, three uh, men break into this home with Bick and Han and Jennifer home. And they tie Jennifer up on the stairs, take the parents into the basement and shoot them. Now, the dad of Jennifer, his name Han, he was shot in the face, but he survived. And the mom was killed. And Jennifer called 911, and dad was gravely injured, but he ended up living. And one of the things the dad said to the police was that when he was being led down into the basement, he noticed his daughter was not tied up. She was not being held at gunpoint. And she was speaking very personally and closely and softly with one of the intruders as if they were friends. The dad said that. Wow. And this article by Karen Ho in torontolife.com. And Karen Ho was a friend of Jennifer Pan's junior high and high school. So she knew her and she wrote this really good article about it. Again, I'll put it on our website. And Jennifer's case is really extraordinary because um, she attended Ryerson University, her parents thought, and then was going to transfer to the University of Toronto to study pharmacology, because that's what her dad really wanted her to do. But homegirl Jennifer over here hadn't even graduated high school. She managed to fudge high school graduation. And so she collected used biology and physics textbooks, bought school supplies, pretended to attend first year student week, she doctored papers stating she was receiving a loan and convinced her dad that she'd won a $3,000 scholarship. She packed up her book bag and would take public transit downtown every day. Her parents thought she was going to class. Instead, she would go to the library, research on the web and in books in the library, enough so that she would sound scientific and knowledgeable in some of these subjects. And I'm thinking, all this energy you put into faking it, fucking do it, girl, right? Like, what totally. You're scamming the system, taking so much more energy. You wouldn't have to spend every minute of your life worrying about living a lie like that. How much, how much draining energy would that take to every day of your life, you're going to get caught? Well, of course, eventually it did. So what had happened was she was, according to this article from Karen Ho, which is just so well-written, she was a top student when she was in grammar school, but then when she was in like eighth or ninth grade, she was only averaging a C. And the rest of her high school career, she would fake her report cards. She would forge them with scissors, glue, photocopiers, and whatever. And so her parents thought she was getting straight A's. She was also active in, I mean, she was apparently really well-liked girl. She was friendly with all the different cliques in school. She was a figure skater. They thought she was going to go to the Olympics if possible. And, and she was in all these activities and stuff. Well, she told her parents that she'd gotten early admission into Ryerson University, which was not true. So instead of that, she would just figure out what subject she needed to pretend like she knew about and would lie, lie, lie. And then she would go and hang out with her boyfriend, Daniel, 
he was attending York University. And then she started getting some jobs, like she waited tables and all these things, just a super secret life from her parents. Well, we're, I mean, this has gone on and on and on, right? Years and years. And so she actually told her parents that she was volunteering at a place for sick children. And her parents, for whatever reason, kind of were starting to figure out something was really wrong. And so her mom followed her to work one day. She wasn't working at this place for sick kids, but she saw her mom tailing her. And so she ran into the hospital and hid from her for a couple hours until her mom left. And so that night, her parents confronted her and she confessed that she not only didn't volunteer at this place, she'd never been uh, to the University of Toronto's pharmacology program, had been staying at her boyfriend Daniel's house, and she still didn't tell them she'd never graduated high school and that she'd never gone to Ryerson. So her parents were still thinking the only part of this lie is that she's going to the University of Toronto. Well, her parents get really mad. Her dad wants to kick her out. Her mom talks him into letting her stay. But to keep in mind, this girl is like 23, I think, or 24 at this point. They ground her. They take away her phone. They take away her laptop. 23. Like they ground her like an eighth grader. Isn't that like hard to get your head around? Well, she starts deciding, well, she's got to get out of this somehow. And she's not going to be able to get out of it halfway. And um, she decides to plot killing her parents. So... That's where I'd go. Sure. That's where I'd go for sure. Yeah, right. I mean, this is like, I could move out and get my own job, move in with my boyfriend, or I could murder two people, you know? So, so this is interesting. I, I mean, at, at some point, I want to discuss a little further about the psychology of these parent-child relationships, but it's interesting to me that someone's world is so small, and, and part of this is created by parents, right? the helicopter parents, the parents that are putting all this pressure on their kids, but they're also stunting them emotionally by supporting them. Yes. And so that's almost like my cats, right? Um, My cats right now are favoring James because he feeds them. (laughs) And when I feed them, they favor me. So the cats know, they know their, their source of food and I think that's kind of what these kids are like. Well, my only options are manipulate my parents to get what I want or kill my parents and take what they have. Cause that's the world that's been created for them. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a, there was a, a really interesting analysis in the Washington post, as well as in this article from Karen that I've been drawing a lot of information from about the tiger parents and how Jennifer wanted nothing more than praise, you know, from her dad, but raise their children in a, in a way that has a mentality that praise stunts ambition. Like if you praise it, the person will stop there instead of keep going, right? Now, I hesitated to bring up that aspect of it because a lot of the people who look at Jennifer Pan's case can sound very victim blamey on her parents. So the only thing that I would want to talk about in terms of her parents is yes, witnesses and people who knew her and knew them saw her parents being very tiger parenty and very hard on her, did not offer praise, were very strict and rigid with her, et cetera, et cetera. Those are the facts. Whether or not we're leading down a road of 
one connects to her killing them no right. um the fact is we have a 24 year old 24 year old woman uh, um now she was obviously emotionally screwed up her boyfriend had broken up with her kind of they had an on again off again dramatic relationship and he declared his love for another girl but then he kept coming back and flirting with jennifer and then it was just like this up and down thing and eventually i guess he cared about her enough to help her kill her parents you know so he helped set up the situation with these quote-unquote hitmen and the evidence was overwhelming you know she had a two different phones and one of them was only used for murder planning and one of them was used for daily life it was things like like tonight's the night or you know like it's a go it's like and then she did confess and then she took it back. But then the evidence was really overwhelming, especially when it came to her father and what he witnessed that night of his wife's murder. And when they were dragged down to the basement and then shot, you're going to take his word. You know, when he was put on the stand, he said, this crime ended my family, my entire family. It wasn't like I just lost my wife. You know, I also lost my daughter and she and four other people were convicted of premeditated murder attempted murder, conspiracy to commit murder. They were all sentenced to either life or close to it. Eligible for parole after like 20 or 25 years. So the articles I'll put on our website, one of them's from Toronto Life and the other one is from Washington Post from July of 2015. The title of it is The Tragedy of Golden Daughters Fall Resonates with Asian Immigrants. And so there is an element of course to it that I can't speak to. I don't know what the experience was like, but I want to focus on this idea of living a lie, such a grand, specific, planned lie that the people you live with don't even know you're doing it. Now, when we were at tech, I knew somebody who found out that her husband had been doing this, had been pretending to go to law school, and he'd been doing it for two years. She believed every day that he got up and went to classes, and he did not. He went and he sat in the library and just fucked off all day long and did absolutely nothing. And I knew somebody at OU who had the same thing, whose spouse had pretended, and they got divorced, whose spouse had pretended to attend law school at OU uh, and, and hadn't. I was Googling, how common is this? It, it must be really common, but you can't really find statistics on it. Like, it's not like a database of, well, my husband lied about going to college and then we got divorced. Um, I did find... A couple of people who'd written in like on reddits and stuff i did this i pretended to go to college when i didn't well you know we're talking specifically about college but when i was researching this people also fake having jobs as well and this this relates to parent-child relationships as well as just how people are socialized to believe that if they don't achieve a certain thing that their life is over again talking about this small world that people live in that it's it begins with little things like cheating on a test or having someone else write a paper for you or telling your parents you're doing something when you're not on a small scale right and then you just have to keep going with it and keep going with it and there are a lot of psychological studies out there that show, this one is one that I thought was really interesting and it, it kind of relates to the workplace more, but I could see it translating into to college. Some University of Georgia today, high pressure expectations lead to unethical behavior. 
they talk a little bit about did you ever see um that show dirty money yeah so there's a documentary on netflix called dirty money and they expose a lot of bad companies and one of them is wells fargo wells fargo was setting this expectation that people had to get a number of new members to get new accounts per oh month. i remember that case from yeah. three or four years back yeah and so people just started lying. They just started making fake accounts and they started signing all their family members up and stuff like that. And eventually it, it turned into a big scam. So I think this is kind of how it happens is you, you have the, this pressure and you can't meet the pressure and also have ethical standards. Mm -hmm. uh, at least that particular person, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So the Harvard Business Review from December 26, uh, 2019 has an article called What Happens When Your Career Becomes Your Whole Identity? Mm -hmm. As many people with high pressure jobs find themselves unhappy with their careers, despite working hard their whole lives. Hating your job is one thing, but what happens if you identify so closely with your work that hating your job means hating yourself? So there's wow. a psychological term for this called enmeshment. Mm -hmm. To describe a situation where boundaries between people become blurred and individual identities lose importance, enmeshment prevents the development of a stable, independent self. So the articles that I read go on to say that a lot of this pressure that people have with their careers or with school just actually lead people down a, a path of becoming unethical becoming morally questionable in their choices you know, and 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 there's a there's an element of it that leads directly to murder because if you look at family annihilators oftentimes one of the triggers is loss of job and loss of job is loss of identity and there's nothing worse and so for some reason that translates over into oh i have to kill my family and for some people that becomes a reasonable extension of a solution. Everybody out there has at one point been desperate to keep a secret, right? And if it gets found out, that could change your entire life. Like, like if that kind of a secret's even bigger. And so one of the things that this guy, in the first case I talked about of the Whitakers, the son, Bart, who's the murderer, he said in interviews later that he, there wasn't anything that he wouldn't do to keep that secret. Like to him, getting found out that he didn't attend that school and didn't get that degree, there was nothing worse. And so I guess if there's nothing worse than that, then all the crazy options suddenly start sounding sane. Yeah, it is quite interesting because even with the, the family annihilators, you know, when we talked about Chris Watts, somewhere in the back of his brain, he was thinking, well, it'd be better for my daughters to be dead than to grow up with knowing that I killed their mother. So for whatever reason, I've heard people say, well, I'm never going to let my parents know I'm not a Christian or I, I don't share their belief system or that I'm a different political party, you know, so I'm going to keep it a secret until they die. I mean, that's kind of in the same vein. It's not, but I know a lot of people that will keep relationships a secret from their parent and all sorts of things because they just don't want their, the power that parents have over their kids is incredible. Is it? Yeah, when because my parents used to work at a children's home and 
the kids there, their parents had molested them, abused them, all sorts of horrible things. That's why they got taken away. And the, the one wish that all those kids had was to get back to those parents. Yep. So this is a very, very powerful relationship. So then the idea of it's better that my parents are dead than disappointed in me. Well, yeah. see, and you're, okay, so again, going back to Chris Watts, he chose to kill his family. A lot of people that have lose their job or have some sort of marital pressure kill themselves. So people act out in different ways. They commit different types of crimes. Like I read this one study from uh, Adelphi Psychiatric Clinic in Singapore. And Singapore is one of those countries where they put a lot of pressure on kids. Yeah. And this 2016 Singapore Organization of Economic Cooperation and Development Survey found out that children as young as eight are contemplating suicide because of high expectations with regard to school. Eight. Like maybe I just wasn't a very sophisticated eight-year-old. I'm not even sure I knew what suicide was. Right, right, right. Wow. I didn't think about, yeah, I mean, that's really true because I'm focusing on these cases of murder, but there's a lot of cases where people act out in other ways, right? So, so for me, for the idea of murder of your entire family to become a, a, a valid solution to a problem, that's, that's, it's so far outside of my understanding or belief about how the world works, it's hard for me to get my head around it. I can get my head more around running away you know, I can even get my head around taking your own life. I don't, I mean, don't, it's horrible. Do other things instead, but I can get my head around those things, you know, mm -hmm. but the idea of taking out your entire family and especially like this Whitaker guy, what did your brother ever do to you? You're, you're a horrible fucking person. This yeah. kid finishing his first semester of college. He was trying to do his little life and it's just so, it's so awful to me, Kevin Whitaker. It's In the case of the, the Whitaker case, that almost sounds more like just a sociopath that this just happened to be his scenario, right? So he, he had decided his big source of money was going to be his parents. The other mm -hmm. case sounds a little, a little more like some screwed up situation in this girl's head about reality yeah suppose I had a secret that I absolutely just you know I'd rather die than have Curtis know about it but I'm not gonna kill myself I would I can see disappearing from your life you know it is not that common now police in missing persons cases would have you believe that it's common oh somebody just walked away from her life that's not really a thing people actually don't do that but I can see doing that. I can see just bailing. And there was a book, and this actually took place in the 80s. True story about this guy who disappeared from his life. And he was a college president and very high level life that he lived. It was a big life, lots of friends, lots of family. And one day he was supposed to be home for a party or something at his house and he just didn't show up. Where is he? Nobody knows. And he had decided he was done with his life. And he ended up in Texas, he ended up in El Paso for part of the time. And he eventually realized he couldn't work. 
because he didn't want to use his social security number because he'd get caught, you know, but he was gone for a while. He was gone for a while. And he wrote postcards or letters to a few people that they got a few days later. And one of the people he didn't write was his wife. How awful would that be? They've been married for like 20 something years and he wrote letters to his friends and neighbors, but not his wife. Um, do you know the story of the List family? That sounds familiar. We could do an entire show on that, but he's a family annihilator and he murdered his mother, his wife, and four kids. And he was very religious. And he killed his family because he really believed they would go to heaven and, and that they were going down a path that would lead them to hell. Mm -hmm. And for him, he wanted to kill them before they did that as a gesture of love in his, in his mind. But don't they say you're most, you know, you're most likely to get murdered by someone you know. And I can't think of relationships that, that are more complicated than parent-child relationships and then romantic re relationships. Sibling relationships can also be complicated too, but that parent-child relationship and romantic relationships tend to be extremely, extremely complicated. And, you know, the, like leaving your family and sending notes to like friends and but not to a spouse or not to your parents or something like that is also it's a specific act of aggression as well too right uh, yeah you're sending a message on some yeah. level <laughs> oh my gosh do you remember the runaway bride the real story the real one the real one yes yeah, yes she, i do she faked her own kidnapping in order to not get married to the dude i remember now I <laughs> I used to, I, I used to tell my students like, that might be the most passive aggressive thing I've ever heard in my life. Just tell them you don't want to get married. <laughs> like you fucking fake your kidnapping. The FBI was looking for across state lines, and oh my gosh. I'm curious what causes something within someone that they have to end around all the obvious stuff, <laughs> right? Exactly. Have you ever been ghosted? Oh yeah, yeah girlfriends of mine say all the time like they're dating a guy or in the past they've dated a guy and the guy never breaks up with them he just stops responding I know someone who went out with a guy for a few months flew to meet his family for Thanksgiving with him I mean this was like we're committed right mm -hmm. and they get back from Thanksgiving and he never called her again like the guy she yes and she's like is he okay you know wouldn't you think something's horrible well, no, he was fine. She saw him like, cause where he worked, his window was right by the street. So you could see him. And I actually knew this, I, I saw him, but, you know, there he was just living his life. Like, Oh my gosh. Talk like, about not dealing with reality. I kind of get it a little bit in the sense that like, have you ever had to fire someone? No. I've seen it in many circumstances where someone is getting let go and they will not accept it. They think it's a negotiation. And oh. so at a certain point, you have to just like get security. <laughs> it's right. ridiculous. And right. so I do think that women can be that way when you break up with them too. Like a guy will. I'm not saying you don't eventually stop speaking, but can't you at least lead with a, I don't want to date you anymore? No, I agree. I agree. Like, you know, like that's better than wondering. It's just like wondering and wondering and you make yourself crazy. What did I do? And what did I just, I don't want to date you anymore. And you go, oh, 
well, I can't argue with that because you don't want to date me. I can't make you want to date me. It's true. They all relate to that study I was telling you about, about how um, women's tears are stinky to men. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they, they had liquids in different jars and one of them had women's tears and I don't know how they collected them. Oh, shit. Yeah, but then the most of the men in the survey found the jar of women's tears to be the stinkiest. I hope this is a real study and not an onion article, but now I have to find it. Please. Oh my gosh. It's either, it's either real an onion article or I just made this up. You know, it's like my grandma was like notorious for, for just making stuff up. And I may have been passed on to me. I'm not sure. (laughs) Sometimes. Just like making up from a story from whole cloth. Just like. Oh yeah, yeah. Like mistaking. No, like I mean, I I went to the movies with my mother-in-law, my mom, my grandma, and James. And my my mom had to go to the restroom, so I asked my mother-in-law, "Can you just watch my granny for a minute?" Because I didn't want her to wander off. And when I came back, my mother-in-law was like, "Oh wow, your grandmother is so interesting." I'm like, "Really?" And she's like, "Yeah." She told me about how she was a sharpshooter in the CIA. Oh, those kinds of lies. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'll give you another, I'll give you another one. So this is just random. We're in the car and my grandma is mumbling to herself in the back seat. And I'm like, speak up grandma. What are you talking about? She's telling a story about how her husband used to be Dwight Eisenhower's driver during World War II. And one time he got a new car that went all the way to 100 and he drove over to the house with Dwight Eisenhower and got me to get in the car. And I was sitting in the back seat with Dwight Eisenhower. And my grandfather's uh, name was Rembert Murphy. And people called him Murph. And so they're driving down the freeway and Dwight Eisenhower says to my grandmother, how do you feel if we take this all the way up to a (laughs) hundred? And my grandma says, let's do it. And so Dwight Eisenhower turns to my grandfather and says, let her have it, Murph. (laughs) And you said, that sounds real? I said, I'm making t-shirts for everybody that says, let her have it, Murph. (laughs) So I mentioned this at the beginning of the podcast and you know how certain reputable shows will say like well if you want some additional reading or material on this subject you can go to this or that well the movie I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast is called second act with Jennifer Lopez oh and this is the description Maya Vargas is a dedicated assistant manager at a big box store but when she's passed over for a well-deserved promotion because she doesn't have a college degree she employs some street smarts by reinventing herself with a fabricated resume. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. You know what? <laughs> and we're supposed to root for the root for her. Lying and lying and lying. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with not having a college degree. Right. We're supposed to root for her lying? <laughs> I know, I know. Oh, This goes back to what I was saying again at the beginning of our podcast about my fear. One thing that I've always sort of prided myself in is I want to remember what it's like to be a young person so that when younger people talk to me, 
I'm just not like that old person going, yeah, yeah, go yeah, to yeah. college, get a job. And, you know, my, my nephew has been struggling with college and like whether or not he wants to go to college and what he wants to do with himself. It really upsets my sister, but myself, I do remember having those same feelings. So oh, yeah. he was giving me the speech about how college is just a piece of paper and it's so stupid and the professors are stupid. I mean, it's like something I would have said when I was his age. And, and I did for a period of time drop out of college before I got my degree. I never like <laughs> pretended to anybody. Mm-hmm. And there were like, I got serious heat from my parents and from people in my family. So I totally get it. And sometimes you do just need to get out there and live your life. And maybe college isn't for you right away. And exactly. I had a, a friend come to me and say, you know, since you teach college, can you convince my son he has to go to college? <laughs> I go, it's going to sound weird, but it's not always the right thing for everybody. It's not always the right thing right now, you know? And I, I said, uh, to force it on him when he's not ready, it's like, you know, I'm not saying he gets to just sit around the house, but. Well, that's, you know. that's the key, right? Um, right. But, but like when, when I quit college, I didn't just like lay around at my mom's house. I moved to New York. I got a job and, and it made me realize I needed to go back to college because like, you get to a point where, where you go, all right, well, I'm never going to progress beyond this point. Now, some people actually never get a college degree and do amazing. So good for them because they figured out, I don't need this stuff, you know, and, yep. and not, not every career requires a four-year degree. It doesn't mean you're dumb if you don't get a college degree. The, the very idea of your expectation or your parents' expectation being that you're so expected to succeed academically and all this stuff that rather than either disappoint them or lose out on whatever you're going to get from them, that murder becomes an option is insane to me. I mean, it's, it's an, obviously it's an insane thing to do, like to plot and plan and I'm not saying this person is insane, but that act is not a sane decision. And Plus, I mean, if you're going to slaughter your family, at least have the balls to do it yourself. No, you bring in other people. Like you said earlier, who are your friends, man? Like, maybe you ought to rethink your friend choices. How about his friends who didn't go to the police right away? Forget that you didn't help him. You also didn't go to the police. What do you, I mean, Jesus. Yeah. And another thing that should be pointed out is I don't know how much money these people were were looking to inherit, but it probably wasn't that much. It's not like they're killing Sumner Redstone or something. You know, they're mm-hmm. they're killing a parent that maybe has insurance. Exactly. exactly. Even killing someone for a million dollars. Just do I'm asking all the people that are contemplating this out there, just do a little basic math. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you're not gonna be able to live on a a million dollars for that long I know and and also all these people it's not like it's not like they're going to take that million dollars and divide it into like thirty thousand dollar a year salary they're going to go and buy a car and all this crap and then after a year's time they've murdered their parents and they have nothing so it's right really really ridiculous and just this topic intrigued me of people who who pretend to pretend to go to college because it's I know it's actually a thing so I suppose it shouldn't you know it shouldn't surprise me why but it does go to murder 
is that common, you know? Right. How about this? If you want to not go to college, don't go to college. If you want to kill your parents, don't. <laughs> Run away instead. Get a job. I can come up with all kinds of other solutions for you. So I, I feel like college is such a great um a great topic to mine from anyway because we just covered people who uh kill or or act out because of pressure of college but college itself seems to be like a hunting ground for serial killers and and oh, just yeah. a training ground for bad aggressive behavior i would say this is this is a great series for us to do every now and then because you were a college professor and I attended many colleges. We're intimate with this. <laughs> we have got material and then more material on colleges. So this was our first of what will be many university and college life related. That's right. Murder, crime, terrible behavior, serial killing. Brought to you by a college professor and a professional college attender. So you've been listening to Now Fear This with Becky and Marie. Please go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give us a five-star rating and write us a hilarious and scary review that could possibly be read on our show. Go to our website and subscribe there, fearthispodcast.com, for exclusive content that will sure change your life, right? It's life-changing. And Becky... Yeah. I want to say that I'm I'm fine with uh, three stars or four stars too. I don't want to put undue pressure on our listeners. Okay, I, I, I'm putting pressure on our listeners. I don't want any three or four star reviews. <laughs> You're gonna review us. Give us the five fucking stars. Don't right. be stingy. Fair enough. I was. <laughs> I was trying not. To I don't want an honest review. I don't want an authentic review. When it comes to reviewing us on Apple, iTunes, or podcasts, whatever. When it comes to, to that, I'm okay with that lie. Live that lie and give us five fucking stars. <laughs> All right. And on that note. <laughs> and we are out. Bye.